0: shalom let's pray father we thank you for the privilege to be able to be here on a Sunday morning to freely worship you and we do pray that as we look at this topic of culture wars that you will give us wisdom as we seek to engage publicly as people of Jesus Christ We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And so our scripture today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Hermann Hesse, the German-Swiss novelist, strikes a chord for many of us today. And he says this, human life becomes a real hell of suffering when two ages, two cultures and two religions overlap. There are times where a whole generation gets caught to such an extent between two errors, two styles of life, that nothing comes naturally to it since it has lost all sense of morality, security and innocence. He says, human life becomes a real hell when two cultures, when two ways of being human, overlap. Every age, every culture, every ethos, and every tradition has a style of its own. And when these worldviews clash, it often leads to a wild conflict. The Melbourne pastor, Mark Sayers, teaches that the hell that arises from two overlapping styles of life ends in what he calls a grey zone. He describes grey zones as a transitional period where nothing seems to make sense. But while grey zones are places where trust vanishes, peace seems rather absent and communities are troubled, Mark remains hopeful. He writes this in a book titled, Non-Anxious Presence. Unfolded moments and chaotic spaces force us to leave behind the ideas and idols of the passing era. With God, every moment is seeded with the possibility of rebirth. Grey zones offer a blank canvas for God to paint a new story. In other words, the story of chaos Is the chapter before a story of renewal can be written. In times of cultural hardship, there is always the potential, because we believe in a resurrecting God, there is always the potential for spiritual rebirth. Let me bring this to our own context. In our current cultural moment, two movements, the conservative right, which is shaped by modernity, and the progressive left, which is shaped by post-modernity, are coming to a head, culturally speaking. They're clashing hardcore right now. And you see it everywhere, particularly you see it really in USA right now. Pop culture has coined this moment as the culture wars, a time of intense change, political, Polarisation and technological disruption that is rapidly altering, changing the world as we know it. For many of us, the war has left us overstimulated and overwhelmed. On Tuesday, I had a coffee with another pastor of a local church down in the Hunter region, and he described his experience of living in these times as, quote, disorienting. That's what he said. And he's full of anxiety and ministering. Other people have described life as living on a boat battered by the sea, triggering an emotional seasickness and desperation to get off the boat. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat, travelling, for example, from one island to another. That is my experience in Fiji. And I felt sick in the gut. I just wanted to get off the boat. And many people want to get off this whole culture war boat. They're over it, in other words. And that's what this pastor said. For this reason, the political scientist, Randall Squeller, I'm sorry if I pronounce words wrong, um, but there's a few people I'll be quoting today to give us some context. He describes our cultural moment like this. It is a chaotic period where anything can happen and little can be predicted, where yesterday's rule breakers become tomorrow's rule makers where competing global visions collide with each other, where remnants of the past, present, and future coexist at the same time. Other social commentators believe that this wild, wild west we are living in will continue to grow in intensity, leading to the deconstruction and future reconstruction of society itself. While we're living in a confusing time in history, I'm however optimistic, and I want you to be as well optimistic. We are people of hope. Jesus is one. We know that from Revelation. But despite this, I see the culture wars as an opportunity for gospel renewal. In this time, I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is to be spiritual healers, physicians, physicians doctors on the fringes of this battle ready to welcome into the kingdom of god the battled and bruised we are in a sense i'm hoping and i'm encouraging you to be as chaplains on the front lines or on the back lines ready to just embrace people as they come disoriented and sick from this head-spinning world we are living in but to heal both the right and the left with the restorative balm of the gospel we need to understand these social trends if we do not do this work it will be almost impossible to turn the hard war-torn ground into through the Holy Spirit's power holy ground we need to understand the worldviews of those who are called, we are called to win for Christ and today, so today, before we jump to being peacemakers, I actually want to help you understand the worldviews shaping the current cultural moment and how we got here. And so I'd like to first look at with you modernity. But before that, as a side note, while most people today assume that modernism, modernity, was replaced by postmodernism, postmodernity, that is not necessarily how culture works. Culture changes when new systems emerge from old systems and often the old and new culture need to live side by side until something happens. And it can be one of these three things. The new culture dominates the old way and has full victory. Or the old culture overthrows the new way emerging. They see it coming and says, smash it down before it takes us over. Or, and this is what I think is going to happen right now, the old and new cultures both suffer huge losses and merge to be something brand new. And so in our current cultural moment, the reason why there's so much civil unrest is because the two dominant cultures, the older spirit of modernity and all its traditions and the newer spirit of post-modernity now have equal political power. Unless both sides lay down their weapons, it is likely that this conflict will land us in what, as I've already mentioned, Mark Sayes calls the grey zone of destruction. There, the West will need to build a brand new society from the ashes of economic collapse. But to prepare for the gospel renewal in the aftermath of the culture wars, we need to understand these two groups. And so what is modernity? That's my first question. What is modernity? Well, the groundwork for modernity was laid by, for example, the founding fathers of the USA. The ideal of life, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness was the anthem of this movement. This focus created people who were characterized by a a, a rich optimism and they had this outlook of the future and they wanted to build the society in which they desired. And this movement also had a strong intellectual flavor, a very rational, cognitive focus. Due to this strong focus on the mind, modernity was a movement that advanced many new technologies. In the space of a few decades, these intellects invented things like bicycles, hands up if you like bicycles, I do. Um, aeroplanes getting from one place to another vehicles of all sorts light bulbs telephones and the radio and things go on diseases that once wiped out entire communities were being eradicated by these rationalists even in philosophy there was a fervent excitement about the new study of things like language and logic Um, Wittgenstein claimed that he had dissolved all the problems of philosophy. Hegel believed we lived at the end of human history and the beginning of something brand new. Freud believed that he had found the source of all mental illness. Einstein believed that a theory of everything was within his grasp. And so these men and women were great optimists while modernity paved the way for great technological progress the separation of the church and spiritual communities so the church spiritual communities and the state created a culture where human reason was detached from a biblical worldview the famous quote of Nietzsche represents this era well. he said God is dead. And we have killed him. Nietzsche believed that we had progressed with science and reason to the extent that we had killed all forms of spirituality. For many scholars, modernity became the human attempt to understand life without the aid of God. A divine being. The transcendent. Because, as he said, God is dead. Therefore... This movement brought many challenges to the Church of Jesus Christ, and God was gracious in this time. By his sovereignty, God raised up great apologists like John Lennox and C.S. Lewis to confront the assumptions of modernity. Responding to the leading modernist atheist, Richard Dawkins, John Lennox wrote this. Richard Dawkins regards faith as an evil to be eliminated He takes all religious faith to be blind faith. Dawkins says scientific belief is based on publicly checkable evidence. Religious faith not only lacks evidence, its independence from evidence is its joy shattered from the rooftops. However, taking Dawkins' own advice, we ask where is the evidence that religious faith is not based on evidence? mainstream christianity will insist that faith and evidence are inseparable indeed faith is a response to evidence not a rejoicing in the absence of evidence dawkinson's definition of faith turns out to be the direct opposite of the biblical one and i love the fact that our faith is grounded in rational facts you know, Christianity is both spiritual, yes, but also deeply rational. And by saying things like "God is dead," they actually <laughs> lacked scientific credibility-making statements like that, because Christianity is scientific. And so while Lennox battled modernity from an evidence-based approach, you Lewis in his remarkable wit and creative talent, overcame this movement in another way. During his period in atheism, Lewis concluded that imagination and reason were at odds. Imagination was edging him him onto belief, while reason suppressed that belief. And Lewis reflected upon this tension in his autobiography before he became a Christian. He said, the two hemispheres of my mind were in the sharpest contrast. On the one side, a many island sea of poetry and myth. On the other, a glib and shallow rationalism. Nearly all that I loved, I believed to be imaginary. Nearly all that I believed to be real, I thought grim and meaningless. Lewis overcame the assumptions of modernity when he embraced the truth that the imagination and reason are not inconsistent realities he argued that reason is the vessel of truth and that imagination is the organ of meaning in other words imagination makes reason meaningful that's what he was saying and so objecting to modernity the strict um, atheistic modernity lewis therefore said atheism turns out to be too simple If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that there is no meaning. He also goes on to say, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, Christianity, I see everything else. And so he brought together both the heart, the imagination, the soul, and his cognitive reason. And he said, with these two different perspectives, Christianity is the System of belief that makes the most sense to reality. (laughs) In sum, while modernity became critical of religious knowledge, over time the movement has evolved, I believe, into what is called the conservative right. The focus on objective truth and the vision to make the West great again is an attempt to recapture the spirit of optimism and the rationality of modernity. While the conservative right is more traditional than her modernist forebears, it remains an intellectual movement shaped by reason, confidence, objectivity, science, and the hope for the future. And you see that through you know make america great again or clive palmer's version of make australia great again this is the vision of modernity the right and so that brings us now to post-modernity the focus of post-modernism is hearing the voices of those on the fringes of society and exposing all the cracks in the grand narrative of human progress that modernity promoted. While modernity constructed a society based upon reason and progress, post-modernity sought to deconstruct this vision. Some of the phrases that capture the spirit of post-modernists is, for example, quote-unquote, smash the patriarchy, or there is no absolute truth standard. Rather than embodying the optimistic spirit of modernity, post-moderns embodied a tone of Pessimism, distrust in leaders and a spirit of irony and humour because um, humour is a great way to overthrow systems of belief. I believe that this post-modernist tone took pop culture by storm in 1963. At this time, the Beatles released their first vinyl hit titled Please, Please Me. In the same year, the first post-war baby boomer enjoyed newfound freedoms at 18, and the sexual revolution gained widespread traction. The young and restless post-war generation desired to live life to the full, and the modernist vision, to some degree, was lost. In his study on the change of Christianity in Britain, particularly looking at its impact on the church, um, Callum G. Brown said this, The generation that grew up in the 60s was more dissimilar to the generation of its parents than in any previous generation century. The range of the changes in personal relationships, political debate, and moral concerns was so enormous that it did not so much challenge the Christian churches as bypass them altogether. And so life in the church, for example, became increasingly irrelevant and was detoured for the pursuit of for example personal personal pleasure please please me. Rather than seeking a monolithic huge objective truth or story to give you meaning like the previous generation, post-modernists exposed their subjective truths and lived experiences of minority groups that the broader society, overlooked. post gave a platform to the voices of, for example, Indigenous Australians, women, children, the LGBT community and refugees. All the voices that modernity excluded found a home in post-modernity. But in taking such an abundance of perspectives, relativism the idea that there's no absolute truth standard came to prevail. People were no longer unified by a grand story or truth, such as God or human progress, but rather lived by mottos like, quotes on quotes, live your truth, or you only have one life, or put yourself first, or you are the boss of you, or authenticity is everything. In essence, Postmodernity was not focused on achieving some utopian dream. It was instead about justice and equality for all. Postmodernity was about creating a space where all people of all sorts could live out their own personal story without social restriction. It attempted to create a society where all people had the freedom to live out their own individual desires without limitations. But many social commenters, again, have observed that this freedom is actually, they would say this, as a negative freedom. Os Guinness, a Christian social critic, writes this. Freedom is not the permission to do what you want, but the power to do what you ought. Freedom is not individual only. Each person's freedom is free only to the extent that one respects the equal freedom of others too all freedom requires restraint and the greater the freedom the greater the restraint and the stronger the accountability it requires he writes elsewhere these haunting words the west's pursuit of political leadership without character economic enterprise without ethics and trust scientific progress without human values, and freedom without virtue can only end in disaster. It rings the death of sustainable freedom. And as it works itself out socially and politically in countless areas, it makes the decline of the West only a matter of time. And so this this way of looking inward and saying that I'm now the authority, he would say, has created a bit of a selfish society. The glorious statement of postmodernism, put yourself first, he would say, is leading society into ruin. A culture driven by the pursuit of the authentic self above the commitment of self-sacrifice cannot survive. Seeing the future devastation of a selfish culture, biblical scholars such as Brian Rosner, he was my principal at Ridley College, has sought to recapture what true identity is all about. And based upon the teachings of Jesus about self-denial, Rosner writes this, and he would say that this is what will create a society that leads to human flourishing. He says this. In order to find yourself, your true and lasting identity, you need to relinquish the quest for self-acertation and look in another direction. Jesus opposes the notion that to know yourself, you need to find yourself. The paradox of personal identity is that those who gaze inwardly to find themselves will lose their identities, and those who look elsewhere to the interests of others will find their true identity. And in his book, just after this quote, he quotes C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis just brings it home with these words. He says, give yourself up and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Look for yourself and you'll find in the long run, hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, and decay. And so while we might experience those effects on a personal level, when a whole society pursues me, me, me first, we see on a global level these effects that Lewis speaks of. Hatred. We see this in society today. Increased loneliness. We are more lonely than ever before. Despair. We are more depressed than ever before. Rage. You see people saying, ah, at each other, right and left. And there, when you have those things shaping society as a whole, what does it lead to? Ruin and decay. Ruin and decay. And so while post-modernity was a movement towards justice and equality, I would say over time it has created a society that is leading to decay. Over time, the movement evolved into what is now called the progressive left. The focus on subjective human experience and the vision to live true to ourselves is now an attempt to create a society that affirms the authority of the self above social expectations. But the sad fruit of this attempt to liberate us from the restraints of objective truth standards and grand meta-narratives has resulted in one of the most depressed, self-centred and despairing societies ever recorded in human history. And so you might be thinking, where to from here? Where do we go from here? Well, I would like to say that the conservative right and the progressive left are ideologies that do not perfectly represent the way of Jesus. I would say, and I said it in a teaching earlier this year, that the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus Christ, transcends these movements. One could say it's a better third way. There's aspects of the left that we see in Christianity. There's aspects of the right that we see in Christianity. Nothing perfectly fits within the Christian story. The Christian story transcends these political movements that are at war with each other. Both systems are at work to outplay, outwit and outlast the failed administration of the other. And with the polarization between these two trends, it is projected that both sides will become more and more militant and totalitarian, leading to the collapse of Western society itself. And so what should the church do as we prepare for this event? I believe it's critical for us to be communities of shalom. On the fringes of society, maybe. Maybe within culture to be something different. In the Bible, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, which means to make complete or make something whole. And so people are broken, right? The shalom of Jesus Christ seeks to restore that person into what they are created to be according to God's objective standard. We were made in the image of God, Called to reflect God's character and goodness in the world. After the fall, that image bearing nature within us has broken, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we conform to Jesus and become the people we were created to be. And that is, people of shalom. The scriptures clearly teach that this is the goal, to conform to Jesus. Romans 8.29 says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In other words, we are to become like Jesus in every way. Our purpose is to bear the image of Jesus. Who was neither right nor left but how do we embody his image of shalom in this political chaos i love what jesus says to his disciples he says this blessed are the peacemakers in other words the shalom makers the shalom creators the people who make people whole who make society whole again for they will be called the children of god And so a mark of our adoption to sonship is that we embody the peace of Jesus Christ wherever we go. And I must confess, as a leader, I have been anxious recently about the whole culture war thing. And at times I can lose my focus on the fact that I'm not called to be a culture warrior, but rather the opposite, a peacemaker. And that's my confession to you. Paul also commanded the church of Ephesus in a church local level to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And so building shalom in society really begins here in our church community. If the church is not united, how can we be peacemakers in the broader community? How can we be people who spread seeds of gospel renewal if we're fighting with each other within our own church? It is madness. We should be united because it is pleasant, a good thing, to be unified as the psalmist sings. We're called to keep the bond of unity as brothers and sisters in christ we are to conform to jesus by embodying his healing peace in all our relationships and it begins here and so in the current culture wars how apologetic i don't think is to argue but is to be people of peace the call of jesus is to restore to wholeness a world that is broken we're called to be a powerful counterforce to the radical individualism of post-modernity and the secularism and rationalism that leads you to conclude that there's no God which shapes modernity. And so what does this mean for us? Rather than wasting energy and resources fighting unwinnable political battles, we should instead work on building communities, institutions and networks of shalom in society, around society, wherever we go in society. There'll be times, yes, where you need to stand up for your faith because things will come our way in which we need to speak. But the best apologetic we can do is speak peace and be people of peace. And so Roger Dreher, I think that's how you pronounce it, urges churches to consider embracing what he calls the benedict option he defines it as a strategy that draws on the authority of scripture and the wisdom of the ancient church to embrace exile in place rather than panicking or remaining complacent these christians recognize that the new order is not a problem to be solved but a reality to be lived with it will be those who learn how to endure it with faith and creativity to deepen their own prayer lives and adopting practices, focusing on families and communities instead of one-sided politics and building churches, schools and other institutions within which the Orthodox Christian faith can survive and prosper. If we are going to be for the world as Christ meant for us to be, we're going to have to spend more time away from the world in deep prayer and substantial spiritual training just as Jesus retreated to the desert to pray before ministering to the world. We cannot give the world what we do not have. And so to be people of healing hope in this coming grey zone, it is essential that we build communities saturated with the shalom, the peace, the goodness of Jesus Christ. Then as we carry this healing balm of peace into the post-culture war debris, we will be able to rebuild society with the seeds of gospel renewal. In the meantime... Let us be leaders, ministers of the gospel who cultivate gospel peace peace in our own lives, in our families, in our churches, in our broader networks, preparing for the day when we can scatter these seeds of shalom abroad in a war-torn society. If you want a verb, here's your takeaway. Be people. Of peace in this season of chaos that is my message today don't be succumb to the cultural trends but succumb to the way of Jesus Christ and to be peacemakers in this culture of social warfare let me pray father we thank you that the way of Jesus Christ transcends the battles of man and we do pray that we embody his peace because that is the mark of being a true child of God. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.